Welcome to Room 106. I'm Richard Garlick from Planning Magazine. And I'm John Gagan, also from Planning Magazine. This is a bonus edition, taking a deep dive into a recent court judgement with lessons for any applications for infrastructure intended to support large-scale housing development. But before we get into that, here are the key news stories from the past seven days. Yesterday, the House of Lords agreed four key government amendments to the Leveling Up and Regeneration Bill, including one that would permit local authorities to refuse permission anywhere in their area for developers who previously carried out consents, in the words of the amendment, unreasonably slowly. Next, developers have been given more scope to use off-site nature enhancements to meet their imminent responsibility to deliver biodiversity net gains under changes announced by the government in publishing the latest version of its biodiversity metric, which is to be used to calculate these gains. Meanwhile, a planning inspector has approved plans for 200 homes on agricultural land in Essex after the local authority, Uttlesford District Council, was stripped of planning decision-making powers by the government last year for poor development management performance. In other news, Waverley Borough Council in Surrey has spent a combined total of £872,500 on legal fees, cost awards, consultancy fees and other expenses related to combating planning appeals in the last six years, it has confirmed. Finally, an inspector has allowed 260 homes on historic grassland on a site that the local authority, Bristol City Council, had erased from its draft local plan due to ecological concerns. The inspector also awarded costs to the appellant, government agency Homes England, due to what they described as the authority's unreasonable behaviour. Many thanks, John. And of course, more details on each of those stories can be found on planningresource.co.uk. OK, so now to return to Room 106 for our deep dive. OK, best of luck. Well, here I am again in the cavern in which all new planning information gathers. Earlier this year, the Court of Appeal quashed a permission for a bridge over a railway line that was intended to serve a new 826 home community. The ruling is widely seen to have implications beyond that individual scheme. That is because the judges ruled that the wider impacts of the much larger housing development that the bridge was intended to eventually serve should have been taken into account when the application was considered. So I'm now walking down to the cathedral-like chamber in which planning court judgments are kept to find our regular contributor, Ben Cochin, who's been looking at the case. I'm having to pick my way over lumps of rock freshly hewn from the walls by teams of junior planning lawyers as they seek to make space to accommodate the latest influx of cases. But I'm hoping that just around this corner... Ah, Ben. Hi, Richard. You found me. Yes, hello. So you, you managed to find the judgment? Yeah, yeah. It's amongst a whole load of judgments that have been cascading onto our vaults over the year. So, yeah, we're there. Found it. Great stuff. OK, well, first of all, can you tell us about the planning application at the heart of this court case? In itself, it's a very straightforward planning application. Tewkesbury Borough Council, back in, in, in the West Country, put in this application for a bridge over the Bristol to Birmingham railway line, north of the village of Ashchurch. The reason for it was that they had this idea 
and I think they, they sort of had some kind of master plan that this bridge would open up a new settlement in effect, could be 10,000 homes, which this bridge would serve. The first phase of 820-odd homes were directly connected with the bridge. So straightforward planning application, and the council, well, they, they approved it. They thought, yeah, good idea. They had this idea for the development. It hadn't actually got very far, the development itself, but they approved their planning application. Okay, Ben, and just to, just to be clear, they were both the applicant and the determining authority in this case. Yeah, they, they, they were, which isn't unusual. They were the applicant and the determining body. And this upset the Ashchurch Rural Parish Council. They felt rather excluded from the planning process. They didn't really like what was going on, I suspect. So they applied for a judicial review to the High Court. High Court ruled in the council's favour the planning permission should stand. Okay, so just before we go any further, what was the sort of context that, I mean, it does sound a bit surprising that the community or the, you know, clearly a very significant new 10,000 home community that this bridge was intended to serve, that that wasn't considered as part of the planning process and that the council made this decision I mean, what was the kind of context and the circumstances in which the council was making this decision? Well, I suppose there are, there are two points here, really. The first one is that, quite surprisingly, they had got a grant allocation from the government body, the Homes England, £8.2 million, roughly, for this bridge. But, of course, it was time-limited, so they had to get the permission through to draw down the funds. I suspect, and this hasn't actually explicitly been stated anywhere, that this was really what was driving them to put through this permission pretty early on for a development that was neither allocated at the local plan nor had obviously planning permission. So I think um, that was fundamental. The other point is, is that, yes, they did... Because, you know, there's a routine here for major schemes that they had to screen for an environmental impact assessment, whether it was required or not. And clearly, this scheme was relatively limited. If you just looked at the red boundary of where the bridge was being built, it was relatively low impact, I suppose one would say. So they, they, their screening opinion was that environmental impact assessment was not necessary. And the, and, the, and the councils took the view, actually, that the councillors did not really have to consider the merits of the wider development as they determined the permission. So that's the context that sent it to the High Court. OK, so they decided that they didn't really need to take in uh, the, the wider development or the broader long-term plans into account when assessing the application or when making the decision whether to require a an environmental impact assessment. And then the High Court backed them up. So how did the Appeal Court find fault with the High Court ruling? Well, very interestingly, they they took a a fresh viewpoint, and I think a very down-to-earth viewpoint, and they overturned the High Court's decision and obviously the local authority. And what I thought was a very astute observation, the uh, Lady Justice Andrews commented, she said, well, look, 
you know, what's the point of this bridge, etc., if the whole development that it's facilitating is not desirable? So she said, basically, you've got to look at the wider development and its merits and its and all the impacts as part of the bridge application, because otherwise you're really you, you're not taking a balanced view. And so she sent it back to them uh, and told them to take a fresh view and, and, and said that, you know, environmental impact assessments have to look at the wider impacts of any scheme. You can't just look at the red line boundary of the application site. So that any sort of screening decision about whether or not such an assessment is required, it needs to be thinking about the wider impact of the scheme. Absolutely. And of course, there is an issue here that if the proposals for this wider development have not been worked up in any great detail, which is what the council said, how can you assess its impact? And this obviously is a, a very, very, very valid point. And I suppose... The answer there is they did have quite a few, they had a master plan of some sorts and they could actually assess the impact of that. And what people from the parish council says, well, look, you know, you could actually look at the transport impacts if you've got 820 homes, initially 10,000 homes overall. You can actually do transport assessments, traffic assessments of that, what that will mean for the area as part of an environmental impact assessment, even if you don't have a detailed planning application. So the council was arguing that a lack of clarity and detail about exactly what this 10,000 home scheme would look like justified not really considering it because, um, or, or not really justified a narrow focus on the bridge itself. But their appeal court were more persuaded by arguments that actually you could do a certain amount of impact assessment, even on the information that was, um, on the relatively limited amount of, uh, of information that was known. Yeah, absolutely. I think the other interesting point here, because one of the issues which the parish council brought up was that they questioned the guidance given to councillors when they said that these councillors should, on the planning committee, should not consider the detrimental impact of the uh, large housing development as part of their uh, considerations of the, the, the bridge. And this was advice from the officer? From the officers, yes. And this guidance was challenged by the judge. She, she was very adamant that really they shouldn't have given that guidance at all. They should not have narrowed the considerations of the councillors to that extent. That, I guess, is one of the sort of practical implications or or wider lessons of this judgment for for councils. Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, there are two points here. One is that council officers have to be careful if they are restricting the uh, considerations of their members in their advice. Uh, This is a bit of a slap on the wrist, I would say, to Tewkesbury that they did that. And the other point is, is that when you've got a, an infrastructure scheme, you can't just look at the extent of the, the road in isolation. You have to look at this wider, the, the wider impacts because the infrastructure scheme does not make any sense 
without that wider aspect. I think in this case, Tewksbury, I suspect, were a little bit ahead of themselves in that when they, to put in a, a, an application for a bridge, when you haven't got the scheme that it's serving really particularly worked out, I think it's uh, running before you're, you're walking in, a, in effect. Or even allocated in the local plan. Or even allocated in the local plan. It's, it's, it's really rather jumping ahead of themselves, I would say. Although, of course, I guess they might feel that we hear so much about development happening before infrastructure is, is, is put in place. I could imagine that there might be people at the council thinking, feeling frustrated that here they were trying to get the infrastructure in place nice and early and they've fallen foul of the courts. Yes, uh, you know, councils are get criticised the whole time because the infrastructure isn't pl- in place when the housing gets built. It's, a, it's such a common uh, common complaint. And here they are saying they're doing the right thing, but perhaps they're just a little bit too keen. I think well, there's, a, there's an interesting, you know, obviously what the, what the judge is actually saying is, is that she's not making a, a value judgment on the development here. She's saying... You've procedurally gone wrong and you need to go back and make the decision again. That's the point. This is a procedural matter. What did the um, judge have to say about the council's decision that an environmental impact assessment was not needed? She was quite emphatic that the impact had to be looked at. The wider scheme had to be uh, subject to an EIA. It was uh, as part of the bridge proposal. There was no question there and... uh, when you do screening and, and screenings, and this is probably one of the reasons why the council didn't do one for the scheme at all, was that they take quite a long time. There's quite a lot to look at. There are quite a lot of people to talk to, to consult with when you do an EIA. And so they decided not to do one. Though they were committed to look at an EIA for the wider development when it came forward. But for the judge, that was not enough. It had to be done with the bridge. And maybe, and what what some people said to me was, what you could do is do an EIA for the bridge and what you know about the wider development, and then top it up as the development comes forward. So you, you, you do a basic EIA, with the bridge, and then as the housing development happens, you do a bit more. And that could work. We're sort of making the most of what we know at the moment and then topping up the impact when it's clear. So that's something for people who are bringing forward those kind of projects and for councils and other planning authorities that are making decisions on those kind of projects. That's something for them to bear in mind should they be in, the, in a similar position in the future. I think that's right. Uh, it can work. I suspect, I, I, I can't claim to be an expert, and this is just quite a specialist field. And uh, people I've spoken to know a bit more, that's what, that, that's what they did suggest. Any other practical implications for developers and councils? Well, it's very interesting because I think this has kind of wider implications for a lot of kind of infrastructure projects. So if you're looking at a power station of some sort, you don't just look at the main generating area. You have to look at the cabling and all the other aspects as well. So that's it, it, this has got quite a lot of wider implications for developers of infrastructure projects. 
So people see it as a pretty significant decision. What they're saying is it may not be significant, but it is, a, it, it is an object lesson if you do things wrong. This is a reminder that this is what they're supposed to do. Right. Okay. So it's not so much that they're setting out a new principle. It's more that they're enforcing a, a an existing approach that should be upheld. Absolutely. This is an object lesson. It's a very clear one. And people say it's quite unusual. I'm not sure how unusual it is. But, you know, they, they were up against, the Tewkesbury was up against pretty dogged critics from the Royal Council, supported by Richard Buxton, solicitors who are, you know, very dynamic solicitors who are supportive to, towards communities and councils and that, parish councils, that yes, sort of thing. Yes, absolutely. So what next for this scheme? Well, I don't know. It's interesting because it's been going on a couple of years now. These legal cases take a long time. I'm not sure what Tewksbury are in a hurry. You know, they, they need to up their house building figures. So they will, I suspect, they will have to determine it again and, and presumably redo their EIA screening and then a new planning uh, committee paper, etc., will have to be drawn up. Then uh, they'll have to take a view about uh, how they manage the impacts and etc. So a, the, it's not dead. I think it's far from dead, but I think they're going to tread quite warily now. And it's been dubbed the bridge to nowhere. Uh, hopefully it will go to somewhere sometime. Yes, yeah, if approved. Okay, Ben, well, um, thanks very much indeed for looking into that. As we speak, pages from new judgments continue to sort of flutter down above us like freshly falling snow. <laughs> so I'll leave you in here to see if there's anything else that we need to be uh, to looking at in detail. But look forward to seeing you in Room 106 again soon. Thank you, Richard. Yes, see you soon, I hope. Great, that's another edition completed. We'll be back next week with another update on the past fortnight's biggest planning news stories. In the meantime, don't forget to subscribe wherever you normally get your podcasts. And to get a daily bulletin of planning news, plus weekly analysis and specialist bulletins, subscribe at planningresource.co.uk. Keep an eye out for the National Planning Summit next month, which is supported by planning, and also for Net Zero Connect, also supported by planning, which is taking place in June. Our thanks to producers Nav Pal and Hannah Holt from Haymarket Business Media and Daisy Chaku from Rethink. And thanks for listening.